welcome to Queers & Co, the podcast on self-empowerment, body liberation and activism for queer folks and allies. I'm your host, Jem Kennedy. I'm a transformational coach as well as creator of the Queers & Co zine and community. Hey everyone, before I introduce this week's wonderful guest, I have a quick announcement. If you're listening to this in the week it's released, a small group of Queers & Co members are heading to a dance studio in East London on Saturday the 29th of February um, to just experiment with dance and moving our bodies. It's a really small informal thing where we'll be putting some music on and just dancing like nobody's watching uh, because they won't be. (laughs) It's a fat positive space. A few of us recognise that there are very few places where we feel comfortable dancing and so we wanted to create that somewhere. There are two spaces left and it would be great to have you there. Uh, If you just want to find out more information and book a space then head to the Queers & Co Facebook group and um, it's £6 just uh, to contribute towards the studio fees. So my guest today is an incredible burlesque performer She's a member of Portsmouth-based troupe Rock With The Foxes and, as you'll hear soon, has been described as a force of nature on stage. She wanted me to give a couple of shout-outs, so I'm going to do that now. Firstly, shout-out to Ruby Jones, without whom my guest says she wouldn't still be performing burlesque. For any of you who don't know Ruby Jones, you need them in your life, trust me. Uh, Head to the website gemkennedy.com and check out issue two of the Queers and Cozine uh, to find out more about them. They are an incredible performer and um, someone who has a lot of very interesting and wise things to say. And the other shout out goes to Madeline Soleil and the Rock with the Foxes troupe in Portsmouth. So now, please sit back, relax and enjoy the words of my incredible guest, Lady Blue Phoenix. Hi, Lady Blue. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. Um, just relaxing after a busy week at work. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so we've just had a we've just been chatting um, about quite a lot of interesting stuff already, actually. So we haven't recorded it. Um, but I've got a few things that I am keen to ask you. But it'd be really cool first if you could introduce yourself so we can learn a bit more about you. Okay. Um, well, firstly, my name is Lady Blue Phoenix. I am. I originate from Seattle, Washington, in America. I've lived abroad now since 2008, five years in Japan, and, oh God, eight years here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did a lot of dance in the States, so fire, belly, dance, things like that. Um, I've always loved the dance industry. Um, Never actually majored in it, (laughs) but I just loved that freedom. So when I came to England after living in Japan for five years. Um, I got into burlesque. We, me and my partner went to a show. I saw these amazing people on stage bearing their souls, bearing their bodies to the world. And I was literally floored. I was like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. But then in the back of my head, I had the whole, but I'm not a size zero. You know, none of the girls on the stage were like size zeros. It was a variety, but in my head, It was that whole, I have to be small to do it. And my partner, he just kind of looked at me and said, can you please just go ask about it? Amazing. (laughs) And I asked about it and got involved and have been doing burlesque now since, well, 2016, when I decided to start doing solos. Mm -hmm. Beforehand, the first year and a half, I was doing lots of lessons and a little bit of troop work and things. But then 2016, I decided to branch out and do solos. And that's how Lady Blue Phoenix was born. Amazing. And does your work have any kind of themes or like, um, you know, there's specific stories that you tell when you're on stage? It's a variety. Um, Some of my acts have a story. Some of my acts are just me kind of expressing that freedom of movement that you don't get to see like in daily life. Um, Some of my acts are just me being free on stage and just showing the world that freedom, but some of my acts are really just showing the confidence that anyone can do it and kind of letting people see that no matter who you are, you can do it and it's safe to do it. Yeah, it's really powerful to see, um, I guess, if you weren't seeing yourself represented as well when you went to see it, um, yeah. giving that representation to other people who might come along and be empowered to try it themselves. Yeah, and that is 
one of my acts, um, as I am, it's my, it's what I call my neoclassic because it's not the classic classic of burlesque. It's mm-hmm. kind of classic with a twist. That act is pretty much I'm burying my soul. I'm burying my confidence. I'm burying, well, I bear everything pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, that act is pretty much, let's just say it's as close to naked as possible without being naked. <laughs> Um, but that act was inspired about me just wanting people to realize that everyone has natural beauty in them and that you have to love yourself and it's okay to love yourself. It's okay to show the world that you are confident, that you are powerful, that you love yourself and that you don't hold, how you don't hold society standards on yourself, that Mm. you don't, care what the world thinks that you're just free and happy to be in your own world and showing that world to everyone yeah and you mentioned um that when you kind of first saw burlesque you saw that people um were all different sizes but you were feeling that you weren't a size zero that was I think especially when I first started to do it it was a lack of confidence in myself Mm. um society media you know, the stereotypes are you have to be a certain shape and size to do lots of things. And for me, it's be raised that this is beautiful, this is beautiful, this is beautiful, this is not. Mm-hmm. And trying to break that mold in my head, trying to be willing to get through that glass ceiling that's been put on us from the young ages of youth and from more little up to the teenage years where you're trying to figure out who you are to then come up the other end of adulthood and be like, okay, so if I want to be beautiful, I have to be like this, but I don't want to be like this. I want to be like this, but that's not going to make me beautiful in the eyes of the world. Mm. And just coming to terms with it, coming to terms with the fact that no matter what the world says, that I am beautiful. You know, I am confident, I am fierce and just wanting to share that bit of me to other people and say look if I can do it you can do it Mm. yeah and we were talking before about um one of your acts that I'd seen kind of um advertised on some of your posters and um posts online and it's called Columbia and it would be amazing to hear more about that please because it sounds great (laughs) Columbia that whole (laughs) so Columbia was born out of the lovely political events from 2016. Mm -hmm. And it was the whole, I mean, it was just the angst of watching the world kind of just go in this odd direction from where we've been quite equal, quite kind of like, you know, morally sound of, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong you know, and kind of coming to that whole turnaround of where everyone's equal and seeing it kind of start going backwards for some reason. Mm. Um, It was from seeing, obviously, Brexit happen. Yeah. And that vote. And then it was seeing Trump get elected in America. And, I mean, that hit me the hardest because being American we always scream about how America is equal, how, you know, it's free and how we're able to express ourselves. But then seeing that slowly get taken back over the years kind of just shocked me. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted to make people realize that you can't just sit and watch. You can't just sit and be an observer and not do anything because the more we raise our, rise, raise our voices and say, look, this is not okay, the more we'll be heard. And I remember sitting in my lounge and thinking to myself, I want to make an act that's going to bring that strength to stage. I want to bring an act that's going to hit that message home. Mm-hmm. And well, there's loads of Statue of Liberty acts out there. There's loads of Trump acts and political acts and things like that. And I said, I want my act to be different. And my partner found out about Columbia, who is actually a historical 
figure who's been forgotten over time. Oh, okay, yeah, I've never heard of, of Columbia before. She was before Lady Liberty. Columbia oh, okay. represented America and the truth of America, the justice of America. She fought for those people who were in the minority and stuff. Most pictures of Columbia, you see her actually defending people who were the minorities or standing up for women's rights and things. Mm -hmm. And she was either in armor or in very feminine clothing, but she still looked very fierce and she was an inspiration. And sadly, when we hit World War, I think it was two, mm -hmm. she disappeared. They got rid of her and it was Lady Liberty and Uncle Sam. Why, do you know why it was that they got rid of her? There is no actual reason why. I think it's just because obviously Lady Liberty got put in America as this massive statue. And obviously people start to associate Lady Liberty with America more. Mm. So they kind of changed the dialogue. That's so funny, isn't it? Because it feels like it's always been that way, but it obviously hasn't. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Phyllis Sweetly, who was a... Um, slave back in the times of slavery wrote about Columbia mm. there's poems about Columbia there's songs about Columbia but in school we learned nothing about her I didn't even know about her mm. Columbia is based on her actually coming back to speak to a politician mm -hmm. to make him listen to make him realize what he's doing is wrong it's not the American way it's not the way politically forward that it's quite corrupt and dark and that instead of doing it, he needs to listen to the voices of the people. Mm -hmm. And the politician ignores her completely. It was very interesting how that came about as my partner, originally I was going to the act by myself. Mm -hmm. And then my partner kind of said, you can't, there's no way the message will hit home. You need a villain. And I sat there and I said, well, I don't trust anyone to be a villain. The only person I would trust is you. Oh, amazing. And he sat there and he's like, well, then I'll do it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've done the worst thing ever. I've cast a stereotype, I've cast a British person as a villain in a, a political <laughs> act. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it happens. <laughs> Every time we've performed this piece, we've done it, I think, about five or six times now. Mm -hmm. It moves the audience to either tears or silence and the message hits home. Everyone understands the message by the end of the night. Wow. And the thing is, because I don't want to give too much away. Yeah. The ending though is not Columbia broken or down or beaten. It's her coming back from what happened in the first bit where he's actually at to then her saying, you know what? I'm not going to let that hurt me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let that keep me down. I'm going to come back and stand up and be fierce and keep going forward. But I need everyone in the audience to join me. I need everyone in the audience to agree to come forward with me to yeah. stop this hate, to stop this evil. It's that whole, I'm not, do I can't do it by myself, but I'm willing to lead the way. It ends on that note. And oddly enough, I don't get a full naked strip in that one. I actually strip down to a tank top and some either um, utility trousers or utility shorts. Mm -hmm. And it's the whole looking at the audience and kind of making them realize you can help me stop this. You can stop this. You have the power and giving them that power and that knowledge in hopes that they'll use it. Yeah, so powerful. I've got goosebumps just hearing that. <laughs> Sounds amazing. So because your work, or certainly some of it at least, sounds really political, um, I just wondered, I know, I know you said that some people are maybe a bit reluctant to book that act because of how powerful it is. How, how do you kind of navigate doing such powerful work and also looking after yourself at the same time? Well, usually when I do get a booking for Columbia, I do try to pair it up with one of my less political acts. So mm -hmm. I will do my classic act, which is kind of seen, sorry, neoclassic act, which is kind of seen as a very body positive, very you know, standard burlesque act. Mm -hmm. Or I will do it with my um, Mad Hatter Act, which is called Fractured Imagination, which I use LED ploy. 
But again, that one touches on a bit of the mental health battle of going from this, I'm so happy to inside I'm in turmoil, Mm. but I'm fighting it off. I usually take care of myself by just meditating, especially after Columbia, I will go and take a few minutes to breathe, to get some air, to just relax from it because it is such a hard hitting act. But what we've also decided, and as this is a duet, me and my partner have decided, and it's a great idea that we are actually going to start advertising and to help producers that, hey, if you book one of my acts and you let me bring Columbia, half the fee that I get, if not the majority of the fee that I get, will go towards the charity Hope Not Hate, because that's how much we want to get this message out, because... It sounds sad, but with the rise of social media and stuff and the rise of the white rights ring thoughts and everything else, we need more people to be aware that they can help stop this kind of rise. They can stop this hate. Yeah. Yeah, I think people feel so powerless, don't they? Yeah. And the act does point that out. I mean, the act points out the whole, you feel powerless, Mm. but you're not. You can do something. Yeah. And I'm wondering where you find all of that power you're you're giving your power away um you know to these rooms of people showing them that they need to make a difference and they can stand up and make a change where do you get your power from i get my power from a lot of the experiences i've been through in life Mm. i mean being black american you kind of at an early age sadly realize that you are different and that those differences will be pointed out to you those differences will be tested And how you deal with them is going to decide your path in life. Mm. And I come from a military family and my dad was his heart. He helped embed in me a lot of power. He helped embed in me the whole, you know, there are people who are going to treat you wrong, Mm -hmm. but pay them no mind. Instead, pay mind to the people who are going to be there to have your back, who are going to be your voice when you don't feel like you have one who are going to be there for you and support you when you do have a voice, when you do have your strength, you know? And Mm. I have like this collective community of friends and burlesque. Like I just became a member of the Rocks with Foxes troop and they're an amazing group of ladies. I've been performing with them on and off since, well, yeah, 2016 at different shows and events. And they asked me last year to join and become an actual troop member. And I've been with them now since December. And honestly, I can ask for a better group of girls. We've had, we had an incident recently, which kind of made me realize how the community is really trying to work around how to be a good allies Mm. because there are some people who do want to be allies to the community they just don't know how it's not explained it's not talked about and such and the incident we had was we had just finished performing a show and we went out packed the car up we're going to go back and have a few drinks and such Mm -hmm. and the troop leader went in um and came out and said I'm not going to let you go back into a place where someone's doing blackface. Wow. And I looked at her stunned and I said, what are you talking about? Because mm. we had seen a gentleman earlier who dressed, who was dressed as Prince, not in blackface. So I was totally down for that. I was like, oh yeah, you look awesome, man. I'm loving it. And I saw another guy come in who looks like a guy from the Blues Brothers, mm-hmm. um, James Brown character for the Blues Brothers movie. And I'm like, oh, that looks really good. He did really well. He's, I can see him as that character. And sadly, it was him who decided to go into the bathroom and black up. The troop leader, um, Madeline Soleil, bless her heart, she pointed out to the security guard. Mm. The security guard went in and talked to him. Um, We went in because it was cold. And he kind of just looked at me sideways. And I kind of looked at Madeline and my my husband was there at the time. I said, I'm going to go talk to him. And they were in shock. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm going to go ask him why he did it. Mm. Because these are conversations that people don't have sometimes. And I think it's important that we ask people, look, what was your reasoning for doing this? 
because sometimes when you get that reason and still explain to them, well, the, while that was a good reason, it's still kind of wrong. Mm. And do you see how it's how it can affect me? Sometimes that's the best way to tell people versus the screaming, the yelling, the, oh my God, it's wrong. Mm. Being kind of neutral versus combative is all right. And so I went and I talked to him and he explained to me why and said, James Brown is idle and da, 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 da. And I said, well, that's great. But when you walked in the door the first time, I understand who you were. Mm. You didn't have to do this to yourself. And he understood and he left. No, no fights, no nothing. He understood and left the pub. His friends, however, did not. Immediately after he left, I was ganged up upon. I was called racist. I was called the problem of this country or people like you because it's people like you who are too overly sensitive about things. It's a costume. Get over it. Yeah. You know, if you walked around in white face, we wouldn't care. There's reverse racism, blah, blah. And the other thing that got me was the woman whose birthday it is because she was having a 40th. I explained it to her and she understood. Yeah. So she then tried to explain it to the friends and it wasn't working. It got to the point where I had 30 people screaming at me and telling me how horrible the wrong guy was, even though I wasn't the one who reported it, my mm-hmm. troop lead reported it, yet she was also standing there telling them all, saying, I'm the one who reported it. Why are you ganging up on her? I'm the one who said something. Stop yeah. yelling at her. Yell at me. But I find it offensive. And so does the pub. And eventually we just left. And I ended up bumping into um, two gentlemen who were by the door who... I think we're from Middle Eastern descent, not sure. And one of the guys, he, you know, tapped me on the shoulder. He's like, can I give you a hug? Because honestly, what you've just done and dealt with there was very brave. Mm. I want to say something, but I was too scared to. And you said something. And it's sad because we teach in schools now how things like this are wrong. People Mm. know this is wrong. It's also all over the news, like with (laughs) Justin Trudeau. And it's not, it's not uncommon knowledge, right? It's not. (laughs) <laughs> and that's the thing that scares me is yeah. we suddenly have had this rise of people doing things that we've known since like the 1970s, even earlier, is wrong. Mm. But they're still doing it. It's like we had a moment of in the 2000s, from the 70s till about maybe 2010 or give or take, where it stopped. It wasn't a thing well, not as much of a thing, but now it's back full force and I'm kind of confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess I just want to say, I'm really sorry that that happened to you first of all, because that sounds utterly shit. And it's, it's interesting that even the person who did it actually went home and it was the other people who were so offended by other yeah. people objecting to blackface. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it feels frustrating that you're doing such like, you know, intensive and demanding political work and then you're still faced with that in your in your private life that you're having to um I guess navigate that that must be really exhausting it is a bit I mean my partner being a non-person of color me being a person of color it can be I mean we do sometimes get some looks and stuff and we deal with it but it's at this point of where it's like can we all just forget skin color for a decade Mm. I mean no one's born inherently racist they're taught this And we need to start teaching people, teaching each other how to just love one another. Like we all get along, we all bleed the same color. I mean, I don't think, you know, but it's instead of being put against each other, which I'm starting to realize is the common thing that is happening nowadays. We need to join together and stop falling for the same tricks. We need to stop falling for the same dialogue that's being put towards us of this group is at fault no no it's this group no it's this religion no 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 it's this sexual orientation no 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 it's this site people who identify like this no Mm -hmm. it's this and instead of agreeing with that dialogue and following that dialogue we need to make our own dialogue and say look actually it's none of those groups it's you and it's the dialogue that we're being fed by the media yeah. And the fact that people say, oh, I have a friend who's black or I have a friend who's oh. Asian. I can't be racist or, you know, all those kinds of things. People come at you with those, you know, you know, those counter arguments. And actually, 
it's not it's not about saying that a person necessarily is racist even though they are in that situation displaying racist behavior yeah that the system is racist and the way that we're brought up is racist and white supremacy is a real thing right and until we actually look at that and get rid of the shit that says like um you know, I have a friend who's black, I can't be racist or whatever it is until people actually are willing to take a look at the system, then nothing will change. No. And it's funny that you say that because again, I, when Brexit happened, I ended up losing at least 20 friends because of just the content they were sharing and everything else. Mm. And I remember an argument with one of my friends, they, well, extras out, they put up a post about how all immigrants need to leave and blah, 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 how they could be happy about it. And I messaged him and I said, you know how offensive that post is to me? Mm. I live here. I'm like, yeah, but you're not an immigrant. I'm like, well, technically I am. I've moved from America here. I immigrated here. I had to go through immigration and deal with the home office and all this other stuff. So technically, yeah, I am an immigrant. Oh, no, no, no. They, they kind of said everyone but you. You're one of the good ones. God. <laughs> and I just sat there. I'm like, but that's still wrong do you see how that's wrong like no 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 but you're not from like the underclass countries that they're I'm like but it doesn't matter (laughs) yeah and this whole division between like first world and third world you know that's also um messed up I wanted to swear but I'll I'll resist um oh swear away (laughs) (laughs) I realized we hadn't had that conversation okay that's completely fucked up like it's not an actual thing the, oh. And even the fact that people see things that way, again, white supremacy, right? Uh, it is a bit of, it, and honestly, it's fucking nonsense. Like, yeah. these class divisions that we have, these fucking ideologies of I'm better than you because I have more money or mm. I'm more educated and you're not educated. It doesn't matter. Like, we need to stop letting those divisions, that dialogue, be replayed everywhere in like from the burlesque industry to modern day industry to everywhere and realize that the way we're going to be able to band together to make this planet a better place is to just realize that we all have things in common Mm. yes i'm you know yes i may not have gone to harvard anywhere else yes i may not be upper class and things but it doesn't matter because we all, at the end of the day, we may like the same shows, we may like the same music, same bands, same food. Everyone has something in common with everybody else. And until we see that and let go of these divisions, the world's going to be fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the other thing that, I mean, especially right now, I will say the one thing that I am really enjoying is, especially in the bus I mean, community, in, in general is mm. the support that, that that is being displayed there's been obviously cultural appropriation there's been you know pronouns being used wrongly things like that yeah and it's good when you have performers banding together to stand behind another performer and say actually hello that's wrong hey that's that's not the right pronoun to use please mm-hmm. use this one this is how they identify and it's good to see that is such a very diverse and mixed community that there are pockets in that community that are slowly expanding to help change the dialogue. Yeah, and hopefully the more people that do that, the more it ripples out, right? And I'm, I'm just thinking of pronouns in particular. Um, a lot of trans activists will ask cis people to add their pronouns after their name, um, you know, yeah. on Facebook profiles and all different places, because the more it's out there, the more commonly um, known of it will be and people will be more prepared to ask what people's pronouns are. So I guess it's like that ripple effect where you yeah. get these small, um, small communities. And I guess in a way, um, like obviously not all of burlesque is queer, but I guess like these small pockets of community that have more um, people who are marginalised and people who um, kind of gather in those communities because they feel much safer. And then mm. hopefully it will ripple out to the broader the broader community exactly i mean i've performed at many of queer friendly venues and things like that and i do get asked well what are your pronouns and i used the she her ones and this year you know and last year and the year before i've had a really bad three years <laughs> <laughs> but um i've become more comfortable in myself and my identity and such and yeah i use she her 
you know, yeah, I've admitted to some of um, my fellow performers that I am actually bi. I told my husband, he was quite like, that's cool. I'm all for that support. And it's just seeing that support come out and knowing that you're safe. And it's knowing that producers of shows now are asking performers who are marginalized, who are underrepresented before the show, how can I make you safe? What notes, what things, how am I going to be able to make you feel comfortable as a performer? Mm-hmm. And actually abiding by those and ensuring that while people are at the venue, while they're at the show, while the audience is there and stuff, they are safe. Their performers are safe. The performers are coming before the audience now, whereas it used to be kind of the other way around. Mm-hmm but also just the general support for um, mental health and things. Mental health is a big one now that, again, slowly coming to the surface more and more now that a lot of people have mental health problems and they're not always comfortable talking about to everyone about it. But in the community, especially the blessed community, there is massive amounts of support and love, you know, and people help people. It's like if you're feeling low or down, people pick up on that and mm-hmm. up first pick up on that and they do what they can, especially if you're at a show to help you actually feel comfortable. You know, some of my closest burlesque friends, like last year was a dark year for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I got diagnosed with anxiety and depression, severe anxiety and depression. And I didn't perform for a good three months. I took a three month hiatus and the support I got, the messages I got, the love that was shown has helped me realize that, you know, I'm not alone. And that's the big thing that some people need need in their lives. They need to realize that there's not alone, that there are people who are out there who are either similar or have been there that are willing to help you. Yeah. And it's accessing those communities, isn't it? Because if you're say if you live in a very conservative area where mental health isn't really discussed, you can feel very alone. But I guess accessing yes. places where mental health is is talked about, and that may just be online. Some yeah. people aren't able to find those kind of local physical yeah. people. But yeah, it, it is incredibly important. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing that I'm enjoying the most about Burlesque is how it's the whole, you know, community feel of, you know, I may be, you know, this and this, I may be a producer, a performer or something, but at the end of the day, I'm still a friend mm. and I'm still willing to talk to people and people are still willing to talk to me and things. And we're willing to have the discussion of, well, how are you feeling and things like that. And there's people out there who are happy to do that for each other. And it's nice. You know, it's nice to hear that, you know, someone is, you know, going through that journey and that, you know, they may need help. And it's always nice to know that you can reach out and say, hey, I'm feeling a bit low today. Can I talk to somebody and having someone say, yeah, message me. Yeah, something I really like as well. Um, and so my guest Kyron talked about it last week, I think, mm. um, was the idea of having people that you message in times where you need to talk to someone, but they're aware that you've messaged other people at the same time. Yeah. So maybe you have, I don't know, like a, a circle of six people that you message when you're needing support. And the idea of them knowing that you haven't messaged only them, you're not only expecting them to support you at that moment. Um, so they can say no, well, they can say I'll be free later, but also there are other people that can respond. I think is such a powerful way of, of doing it because quite often we're conscious of not putting too much onto one person. You know, if we have one friend that we might talk to about things, um, obviously if you only have that one friend, then that's, that's really tough. But if you have more being able to kind of share that, um, like Kyron calls it collective care, being able to share that amongst your community, and have that support is it a great and you know really helpful thing to have yeah and it's either and it is seen i mean if it's not online then again even at shows i mean after the Messiah, i went back to performance such a lot of people were aware that you know i may have a bit of anxiety i may be a little bit scared mm-hmm. you know a bit low in confidence and they were always like hey do you need anything do you need some help you know Mm-hmm. And it's good that people are able to sense and read that because it makes it even more of a safer space. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing right now is a lot of producers are trying to make their safe, their shows safer spaces mm-hmm. for performers who are, again, marginalized, who are underrepresented. And it's a good thing. And I do think that the more that the conversations get out there, the more that that dialogue is out there, the more that allies are willing to put themselves on the line and not speak for us, but speak up and say, look, as a person, I know that's wrong and that is wrong and you shouldn't be doing that. Mm. It's 
more empowering than I think people who sit there and just say nothing. Oh, absolutely. There are so many reasons why people say nothing, but essentially nothing changes if everyone just sits around and keeps keeps to their own business, right? Yes, um, and that is true. I mean, the best way I could put it is if everyone just sat and watched the world like we do with TV and everything else, yeah, the world would be a darker place. But if everyone, instead of sitting and watching, spoke up, changes would happen those who are in the majority power need to start speaking up more and supporting Mm. those of us who are marginalized. It's one of those things I've had to come to realize is, I mean, on stage, it's a funny story, actually. On stage, I've been told that my character who I display doesn't seem to have a gender. It's quite gender fluid, but more or less, it's a force of nature. But if we all took the personas that we display on stage and brought back even 25% of that, into our daily life that would start to help the change yeah so this idea like maybe everyone should be performing (laughs) because then they'll like um connect with a a more powerful version of themselves yes that is true so what's next for you you have obviously um lots of events coming up I'd imagine I know you mentioned that you started a new day job as well so what Mm. what's next I'm going to the Garden of Eden's um Black History Month show, and I'm performing my classic act there, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very excited for. After that, I'm doing another show. Okay. I'm doing another show in April, and then I have some shows coming in July. More or less, I think this year I'm going to focus more on doing more acts that make people think. Mm-hmm. I've kind of done a lot of my acts that I have are a bit more. Well, minus Columbia, (laughs) are a bit more of the free, more of the whole, oh, kind of safe, not safe style, I want to say, but standard style of burlesque. But now I've got to this point in my career where, you know, Columbia being my first political act and the response to it, I'm at this point where I kind of want to change the dialogue of my performances and kind of touch more on ideas for acts that do kind of show in our more messages that kind Mm -hmm. of share messages of this is what everyone has or this is what you can help this is what you know people deal with secretly that you don't see but you know and kind of touch on people make them realize Mm -hmm. actually I go through that in life too and it's good to see it on stage I kind of want to do more representation on stage of groups that are marginalized mm-hmm. you know and I already am plus size and person of color and queer person of color now but I want to also touch on ideas of you know mental health because I've struggled with that and I want to mm-hmm. show that evolution that you can go through but that even though dare I say you get in a space where you're better it's not it doesn't go away. Yeah. But you just have to know how to deal with it and what your triggers are and, you know, be prepared for it when it comes again. Yeah, absolutely. And well, learning to live with it rather than waiting for it to go away because it's something that potentially will come and go. Yeah, it's it's there. Mm. And I know a lot of people who, you know, suffer with it. And I know a lot of people who, especially when I was going through it, I was called a high-functioning person at all mm-hmm. and I know a lot of my friends were like a lot of people I knew were like but I would never think that about you and it's like yeah but I have it yeah that's the point of it right <laughs> like just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there and that's and that's the point it's like I want a lot of my acts now are going to be more the whole you know those hidden sides of people that oh yeah I have that side too and mm. Maybe I need to either express it more or show it or become more comfortable with that side and accepting of it. Mm. Because there's always, dare I say there's, I think everyone kind of has a side of them that we kind of always want to fight off or not accept or detach ourselves from. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that detachment is the struggle that you fight daily if we stop detaching ourselves from it and said, okay, I'm going to accept that side 
and I'm going to walk hand in hand with it mm-hmm. and learn from it and bring it into me more. Yeah, understanding that there are different parts of us that we may not like, but accepting them. You know, everyone has a shadow side as well, for example. It's, yeah. Everyone has that. You can't get away from it. No. Um, and there's a lot of work, quite um, an interesting body of work around um, the fact that we live so detached, like in such a detached way from our shadow side is what's created a lot of these kind of bigger things to to rise up. Um because people are just in denial that there is kind of bad stuff in the world or they pretend that they're fully good and that's just not the case. There is an exhibit at the Welcome Museum. I'm trying to find it because there was an amazing quote that I saw there. Mm. It's going to take me a decade to find this quote. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true. We do try to detach ourselves. And I think the one thing that I've learned is you have to be able to love yourself. And you have to be able to just be comfortable with you Mm. because once you love yourself and you're comfortable with you, you're comfortable with who you are as a person. Sometimes it's the best thing ever. Yeah. And also that that can be messy. Like it's okay that you can just like we love other people who have complex parts and, you know, inverted commas flaws. Um, it's not necessarily loving a perfect person. We're loving someone as they are in their entirety with all their difficult shadowy bits as well, you know, like going on in the background that no one talks about. Yeah. And that is very true. And that's what we need to do more of Mm. instead of denying that side and doing the whole, no, 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 I'm going to push that side away. That side doesn't exist. I don't have it. We need to just accept it and we need to give ourselves permission to accept it, but also to be us. I mean, we need to stop denying ourselves the ability to be who we are. And how has that been for you kind of recently coming out as as being bi? What has that experience been of like, is it um, embracing another part of you or? It has been embracing a part of me that I've kept away for ages. I mean, mm. I've, I went through a bit of traumatic experience last year and kind of ended up doing a lot of soul searching and a lot of self-evaluation and things. And through all the lovely therapy I was getting to help me with my depression, anxiety, and the realization that I, <laughs> I kind of did I, I used to do one thing with traumatic events in my life, and I now realize that I can't do it anymore. I used to do what I would call um, vaulting it. And I think a lot of people may do this, or they don't like to admit that they do this, but you have something <laughs> happen to you, mm-hmm. be it traumatic or shocking or something. And instead of feeling those feelings and dealing with it, you vault it and you forget about it. Yeah. You push it away. You push it out of your mind. You push it back to the far reaches of your mind, of your psyche, and you lock it away behind this door. Mm. And I was getting through life doing that quite a long time. (laughs) Um, For the whole, oh gosh, 30 years of it. And it's just something I learned to do. It was the experience that I went through made me realize that I couldn't vault it away. It wasn't working. Yeah. And I went to counseling and realized that it was okay to not vault stuff, that I myself needed to start to come to terms with my shadow side. And I need to accept me as me. And I need to stop being frightened of who I am as a person and kind of love myself a bit more, not be scared of rejection, not be scared of the world and what society may think that I need to accept me more than society needs to accept me. Mm -hmm. And so coming out, especially to my husband, I mean, we've been together for 12 years. (laughs) Yeah. He just sat there. He was like, that's fine. And I was in shock. I was kind of like, you're not upset. And he was like, no, like you're not scared. He's like, no. He's like, I'm. I love you, no matter what you are, and I'm all right with that. That's incredible. That must have been such a relief because it sounds like you were really dreading it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the thing: is we all need to sometimes do this. We need to realize that it's okay to be us, even if it's 
you know, showing a bit of that shadow side that we have to the world. And if you're scared of you, then how is how do you expect the world to not be scared of you? Yeah. And that just makes me think when you were talking about the vaulting things away, it makes me imagine like a um, an understairs cupboard, for example. And every time something happens, you just like shove a box in the understairs cupboard and you keep putting things in and then the doors like getting a bit rickety. So you maybe like lean something up against it, keep putting stuff in, the door's starting to wobble a bit. And then all of a sudden one day when you have no, you know, you're not necessarily expecting it because it's been closed for ages. It just, the door falls over and it all pours out. And that is what happens to so many people when they just have been taught that kind of coping mechanism, which I think we often, a lot of people are taught that as children as well. Like, oh, forget about it. It doesn't matter. Put it away and think about it another day and you never return to it. It's just piling up in the background. Yes, yes. And that's very true. I mean, I found the um, quote I saw at the museum and it says, illness is the night side of life a more onerous citizenship. Everyone who is born and holds dual citizenship in the kingdom of the well and the kingdom of the sick. Mm. Although we all prefer to use only the good passport, sooner or later, each of us is obliged at least for a spell to identify ourselves as a citizen of that other place. And that was by Susan Suntong, Illness is a Metaphor, 1978. And it's so true. Yeah, it's it's true. escape I was talking to um another guest yesterday around like health privilege and it's not something that we can escape and until we're until we don't have health privilege anymore we don't realize how important and how lucky we are to have it right yeah and again kind of America man (laughs) (laughs) health privilege is it's been great being here because I don't think I would have the same amount of support Mm. like institutional wise and everything else and the therapy and stuff that I would back at home because well we have to pay for most of everything yeah and it's good to see that there are you know options here to help but then again going back to the community it's also good to see that there's a community here to help mm-hmm. and I think that's what we need more if we need more support for the communities yeah, absolutely. And just just sharing stories. A lot of my work is just around talking about stuff and people understanding that there is a shared experience rather than feeling that they're alone. Um, that's huge, isn't it? Just to know that you're not the only person that, for example, um, has struggled with body image or has struggled with um, finding out they're queer or whatever it is, yeah. knowing that it's not me who's going through it alone is just so powerful. Yeah. And I mean, and even definitely touching on the body image, burlesque gave me my confidence to accept my body. And if it wasn't for burlesque, I would probably not be the person I am today because I would have followed the standard dialogue of being smaller is beautiful versus a lot of dialogue I follow now, which is everything's beautiful. Mm. So I'm conscious of um, that we're coming towards the end of our time together. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered if there's anything that you'd like to plug um, we've talked about a few events and we'll definitely post those on um, the show notes and also online. Yes. Uh, is there anything else? Um, the only thing I would plug is say that, you know, yes, I may have shows and stuff coming up, but the best thing that anyone who's a listener can do is to support this burlesque community, be it the small community or the large community, go out and see the shows, mm. buy those tickets, go out and you know, be a part of the community, be it as an audience member, a performer, or just helping out in general, or even just sharing the events across the board, even if you're not going. Yeah. Especially now with the new Facebook algorithms and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, show your support somehow, because right now, but especially there is that struggle sometimes of shows either being canceled because a lot of tickets have been sold the support and love because this is a community that it's a thriving community it's making a revival let's keep that revival going but also let's keep a revival that's coming back be one that we would be proud to keep going yeah let's make that revival become a safe space for everybody and show the world that the community the best community is safe it is more or less accepting and actually show it don't just talk the talk 
but talk the talk and walk the walk. Mm. If you're going to say, I'm going to make this a safe space for people, then make sure it's a safe space for every last single person there. Yeah. Ensure that you don't book acts that are questionable. Be sure that you indeed use the right pronouns. Mm. You know, be sure that there's not any body objectification or things like that. Be conscious of these things and, you know, make sure that your audience understands that too. Yeah, that's a great, great thing to end with. Thank you. You're very welcome. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time, Lady Blue. It's been brilliant talking to you. It's been amazing talking to you, Gem. And hopefully we will meet in person soon. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed listening to Lady Blue Phoenix. I have tried recording this outro several times and I've told myself this is the last time so I don't mess it up. (laughs) So let's see how it goes. So if you want to check out one of Lady Blue Phoenix's uh, performances, then head to my website where you'll see the show notes, gemkennedy.com slash podcast. And you can see the next three dates that she's doing. Uh, One's in Gothenburg in Sweden and the other two are in the UK. And also if you're feeling particularly generous, why not head to iTunes and search Queers and Co and leave a five star rating? Thank you. And also a quick review. I love reading the reviews and also it helps the podcast to be more visible. Another thing I'm doing this Saturday is an Instagram account takeover for Anti-Diet Riot Club. If you don't know Anti-Diet Riot Club, I'd really recommend checking out their Instagram account. They hold all kinds of awesome body positive events and they're also about to get an Anti-Diet Riot bus on the road to take their events further afield. I'm going to be chatting about activism and all things Queers and Co related. So come along and ask me some questions or uh, just check out the content. And yeah, that's everything. I made it through the outro. (laughs) See you next time. Bye.